Well, good morning. It's uh, good to see so many people out this morning. I was asked to give a little update on senior camp this past week. Um, we had, it was probably the biggest camp we had all summer. We had over 100 kids up there. Uh, we don't have the exact number on how many kids got saved, but I do know that there were uh, some that got saved, and there were also some who um, just rededicated their life to the Lord. Uh, it was a, a very interesting camp as far as staff goes. Uh, normally, every other year, as far as cabin leaders go, the average age is probably anywhere from 25 to 30 at the highest. Uh, this year, the average age for the male cabin leaders especially was probably uh, 35 to 40. Um, and so it was very interesting. I was one of the youngest cabin leaders up there. Uh, about 70% of the cabin leaders up there had never been a cabin leader up at Redugo Pines before, and so it was uh, a learning experience for a lot of people. Um, but the, the Lord definitely worked. I had um, a really hard cabin. I had Logan Stratton in my cabin, and uh, we had to crack down on him. But um, yeah, it was, it was a very good week. It was, it was a very good week. The, the Lord was just working tremendously. Sean Wicks was speaking on the joy of the Lord, and so many of these kids were just broken, and, and, and they, they openly shared how broken they were. And um, something that I'm guilty of is I'll pray for the campers before camp, I'll pray for the campers during camp, but then we get home and the prayers stop. And so many of these kids are going home to heartbreaking situations, parents that abuse them, parents that perhaps uh, just um, don't love them. Uh, some of them are going home uh, having put place their saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're the only believer in that home. And so I would just encourage you to continue praying uh, for these young ones. It's, it really was heartbreaking to see um, just the situation of these campers. Um, some people have asked how they could pray for me while I was gone in, in uh, Texas. Uh, I'll be leaving September 1st, so uh, after today I'll have two more Sundays with you all. Uh, things are getting very real with me, and uh, it's starting to, to kick in. But um, I think the biggest thing would just be to pray for uh, humility, not only for me, but also everyone there. Uh, we know that knowledge has a tendency to puff up. And I think uh, if any of us go there with a proud heart, uh, you know, we know the Lord resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So please pray for humility and also pray for unity. Um, luckily, I, I know already... Uh, more than three-quarters of the people going through the program. There's only about seven of us. So uh, just pray for unity and humility. Um, as far as we have a, uh, um, what do you call it, a letter, but uh, not a letter of commendation. They send it out to, like, encourage people to pray. But anyways, there's a... No. A prayer request, sure. Uh, but anyways, there's a letter they sent me uh, that I will print up and, and put it in the foyer. It has basically a picture of everyone going through the program, how you can pray for them specifically. Um, and it also has a schedule of what we'll be going through. That's 90% in stone. So I'll have that in the foyer so while I'm gone you can see what we'll be going over uh, that week and so you can continue to pray for me. Uh, there, there are some brothers going that uh, had to quit their jobs to go. Uh, some brothers going that... Have, have a wife and three kids, and you know, I'm complaining about how hard it is for me to leave, but really, I'm not leaving much behind besides my lovely family. But um, uh, please turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Uh, if you remember the last time I spoke, it was on Mother's Day, and I spoke on Hannah. We took a look at Hannah's situation, how she was married to a man with another wife. The other wife was able to have children, but Hannah was not able to have children, and her adversary, uh, the other wife, Penina, 
uh, would provoke her to wrath uh, very often, would make her feel guilty for not being able to bear children. We realized that that was a society where um, if the women weren't able to bear children, you know, it was a very shameful thing. It was a very hard thing. So we looked at Hannah's situation. We looked at Hannah's supplication, her prayer before the Lord. It was very simple. She said, Lord, look upon me in my affliction. Remember me. Don't forget me and give me a child. But she didn't stop there. She didn't simply want a child for the sake of having a child. She wanted a child that would live his whole life serving the Lord. If you wanted to look at uh, verse 22 of chapter 1, the, the last part, this really sums up her desire. Then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. Now, that was her desire for Samuel, her son. And we see that we took a look at how the Lord answered her prayer in a beautiful way. He did grant her a child, uh, but not only that, but he answered the prayer of don't forget me. And he remembered her after she uh, dedicated Samuel to the service, and he ended up giving her five more children. Um, but we also saw that Hannah was, uh, she supported Samuel very greatly in his ministry for the Lord. Every year she'd go with a robe, and then the next year she'd come with another one, just a little bit bigger. And the, the, the question we asked was to the parents, uh, what is your desire for your children? Uh, is it simply that they would go to college, that they would get a good career, marry a wonderful woman or a wonderful husband, stay close to home, have many grandbabies close by? Or is our desire that the Lord would work in them, that they would serve the Lord all the days of their life, whether that means staying here or going out? What is our desire? Um, it, is, it is a very hard thing. I know uh, it was somewhat difficult for my parents to, to approve of me leaving for nine months. I talked to them. Uh, they're, they're very gracious about it. Uh, but they very easily could have said no. I've heard of people who come home with, with, a, with a young man that they're interested in. Uh, he has no ambition for career-wise, but he wants to be a missionary. And the parents say, no, you're not, you're not going to marry this man. You're going to stay here. Um, it's just little things like that. What is our desire for our children? Um, we see that the Lord used Samuel to do so many great things, and he wouldn't have been able to use Samuel to do those had it not been for Hannah. We need more parents like Hannah in this world, and we need more people like Samuel in this world. I remember last year at senior camp, me and Lacey were, were just sitting on the bench, and we were just looking at the kids, and I remember leaning over to her and saying, you know, I'm worried for this generation. You, know, you see what they're bombarded with each and every day. And honestly, I, I look at them and say, man, I'm worried for my daughters. Like, my daughters are going to marry one of these guys. I mean, it's just, just kind of scary. But we need more people like Samuel in this world. Um, we're going to switch our focus this morning from Hannah, and we're going to put it more on um, Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And we're going to see uh, just how evil they were. If you remember, I, I wanted to go deep, deeper into chapter 2, but uh, we didn't have much time to go through it. So here we are in... First um, Samuel chapter 2, the way this chapter is written is it will describe the evilness of Hophni and Phinehas or even Eli, and then after that it'll say, but Samuel did this. So it's as, it appears as if they're making a, a comparison, if you would. And so that's just what I would like to point out to you this morning. In chapter 2 of First Samuel and verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then they would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there, 
Also before, also before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, but he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if a man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord, but Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Uh, let's just pray once more. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for this opportunity you've given us to open your word, uh, to look in it, Father, to see uh, the examples of what we should do and the examples of what we shouldn't do. Uh, Father, we just commit this time to you, uh, knowing that there's nothing that I can say that would benefit anyone. And so, God, I ask that truly I would have nothing to say, but uh, every word spoken this morning, Father, would um, just be completely of your spirit. Father, we ask that the words of your spirit that are spoken here this morning would not fall to the ground, but, Father, they would penetrate our hearts so deeply. Father, we desire to be more faithful to you. We desire to be more like your son. And, God, the only way that we can do that is by your help. And so, God, we just commit this time to you and ask that you would help us in it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, just to look at Samuel's example, we see the, the narrative of the story focuses, focuses on Eli, Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And in, in verse 12, it starts by saying, they did not know the Lord. They did not know the Lord. They had not uh, placed their faith in the Lord, and yet here they were in the position of service. And if there was anyone in the nation of Israel that you would say, these men are very close with the Lord, you would probably say, you'd probably think it would be the priests. You'd probably think it would be Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. These men, they're serving the Lord. They're in the temple daily. They're ministering to the heart of God. They must know the Lord. But we see here that they did not know the Lord. And I just wonder if there's anyone here this morning who does not know the Lord. It doesn't matter uh, how often you come to church. It doesn't matter uh, how often you read your Bible, whatever the case is. Uh, do you know the Lord this morning? And um, Hophni and Phinehas could not say that they knew the Lord. Uh, but it then goes on to describe all of the evil that they did. Um, the only way we would understand why this would be evil is if we knew how the offering was supposed to be offered up. Uh, here this is speaking of the peace offering, the peace offering that the people would come and lift up before the Lord. This offering was different in the sense that from this offering, there are three, three parties that could partake of this offering. We saw that the priest would get a portion of this offering. Um, the, the, the person that would come with this offering before the Lord would get, a, would get to partake of this offering, and the Lord would also take his portion. The grain offering, uh, only the priest could partake of it as far as eating. Uh, the burnt offering was completely the Lord's. And the peace offering was different in the sense where this wasn't an offering that you would bring before the Lord to uh, repent of your sins. It was an offering that you would bring voluntarily before the Lord to thank him for doing something, uh, whether, or uh, to celebrate something. They would do this at weddings, they would do this at Passovers, whatever the case was. Uh, this was when you would offer this sacrifice. It was a voluntary sacrifice before the Lord, and once again, it was to be shared by all. Uh, so the way this offering was supposed to be offered up was the man would come. This offering could be anything from the flock or anything from the herd. Uh, I don't want to bore you with all the facts, but I just want to make certain things clear. Uh, the man would to, was to come in, was to place his hand upon the head of the animal, 
which would identify himself with the animal, the sin that was in his life, and also the death of the animal. Um, he would then would bring it to the, to the priest. He would, he would kill it himself. The priest would gather the blood, spread it all upon the altar, and then it was there that the priest would take, take the offering. They were to cut away the fat and a couple of the organs and so on, and they were to, at that point, offer it before the Lord. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because uh, it's important for us to know what, what Hophni and Phinehas were doing that wasn't according to the law. But at, at this point, it was when the priest would come, and we read in Leviticus that it was the priest's portion to take the right breast of the animal and the right thigh. That was to be what the priest would eat. Everything else remaining would go to the man uh, that, that offered up the sacrifice, and he, he would be able to eat it. If he wasn't able to finish that day, then it was, it was to be burned on the altar and so on. Um, but, the priest, but the Lord made it very clear that the priest had to remove all of the blood and all of the fat first and offer those things up before the Lord. And the Lord made it very clear that the only thing that the priest was to partake of was the right breast and the right thigh. But here we see that Hophni and Phinehas would come, and there are three things that they did wrong. The first thing being that um, they, they, would, they would rob the Lord of the offering in the sense where they would take more than the breast and they would take more than the, the, the thigh. And it was written that not only would they do that, but they would, they would take, for, take of the meat before before they removed all the fat away. And we know that the fat of the meat is really what gives it its flavor. I mean, if you have a, you have a, a lean steak, I'm, I'm telling you, it's not, not that great of a steak. You know what I mean? So, so we, 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 like, we like our fat on our meat. That's what I'm looking forward to uh, going to Texas secretly. Um, but they, they, would, they would take from the meat before they remove the fat. And so here they are. They're stealing a portion of the Lord's sacrifice for themselves. That was the first thing they did. The second thing they did was they roasted their own meat. Uh, the Lord was very clear that they had to boil the meat, and we know that because uh, by roasting the meat, that would, whenever we see really roasting in the Bible, it's, it's a picture of judgment. And we know that the judgment was to fall on the sacrifice and that alone. And so by, by, by roasting the meat for yourself and consuming it, it just wasn't what the Lord desired. And so they, they desired to roast it. Um, I was thinking about the difference between boiling and roasting and really uh, boiled chicken you really you use it for soup, but you're not going to boil a chicken and eat it. It's really, really better roasted. But So we see why Phineas and Hophni would, would, would want to do this, but they, they roasted it. And so they, they were disobedient before the Lord. They stole from the Lord. And thirdly, finally, the last thing they did was, let me see, I'm getting lost in my notes, um, was they took more than the thigh and the, and the, and the, and the breast, so... So they were very evil before the Lord. Um, and even when people would suggest to them that they were to do it in a different way, they're saying, you know, maybe you should remove the fat first, and then you can take your portion. They would say, no, I'm going to take it now. And if you don't give it to me, then I'm going to take it by force. Here were two very evil men, and yet they were placed in a position that was to be honored amongst all of the Israelites. And they treated the, 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 that position, um, and, and they... they really abused the freedom that they had. And it said that they abhorred the offering of the Lord. They despised the offering of the Lord. Um, why is it that we grow to despise certain things in our life? And it might not, in my personal life, it might not seem, that there have been things in my life where um, it'd be difficult to say you despise this, but based on my life and based on my character, you could say that I despise certain things. 
Uh, for example, prayer meeting. Well, why is it so hard for me to attend prayer meeting, but it's so easy for me to find time to watch the Dodgers play, whatever the case is? Why is it so hard for me to be in the Word and to be reading it and to keep up with all of my daily readings, and yet it's so easy for me to find time to do all of these things? You see, we make excuses up in our minds saying that we're just busy. And the Lord knows we get so busy, we have to do this and we have to do that. But we oftentimes allow these things to consume it, but, and yet we have so much time to do other things, other extracurricular activities. And we see that it, it would appear as if you despise these certain things. If you, if you can't make time to go to these various meetings, but yet you can make so much time to sit down and to do certain things, it would appear as if you despise these things. And so we see that Hophni and Phinehas, they grew to despise the offering of the Lord. And they saw the, their position before the Lord as a way to benefit themselves. You see, they had turned the offering around completely, saying, I'm not going to give this to the Lord. I want my portion first. And not only do I want my portion, but I want a portion of the Lord's portion. And so they were, they were just very evil. And so as I try and um, apply this to ourselves, if you could turn to 1 Peter really quickly, 1 Peter Chapter 2. As we see that Hophni and Phinehas, they were priests before the Lord. We too are priests before the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, the offering was to be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the man would place his hand upon, the, upon this, this, this bowl or the sheep, whatever was to be offered up, identifying himself and placing his, son, uh, his sin upon that animal. And it was the animal that would take upon himself the judgment that was to be born upon uh, for that sin. But we see here that these people, which is really us, we're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Not because of what we are, not because of who we are, what we've done, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you could just, we'll go a little deeper into uh, Ephesians chapter 2, please. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and it says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in, what, in, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Um, here he's painting a picture of what we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We are worthy of eternal condemnation and judgment. But he continues and says, but God, who is rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us, uh, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace 
in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As he's going on to describe what we were, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were walking aimlessly. You can put all those things together and just say, man, we were so far away from the Lord. And yet in verse 13 it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were worthy of eternal judgment. We were worthy of, of condemnation. But the Lord sent his son to take upon himself our judgment, and he made us alive in that. And so if you could just turn back to First Samuel, I just wanted to... Um, go into that so we could see how we too can relate to Hophni and Phinehas in the sense that we have been granted the same position that they were once granted. As priests before the Lord, we have an opportunity to lift up our, our, our praises to him. As our brother mentioned, the highest occupation of any believer is to worship the Lord, and we have been granted that position. But we see that Hophni and Phinehas, uh, this is the whole reason why I chose this portion to go over. Hophni and Phinehas they saw their position before the Lord, and yet they abused it. And they said, you know what, Lord, I, I like my meat roasted. I don't like it boiled, so I think it tastes better this way, so I think I'll do it that way. I mean, the breast and the thigh is good, but really I kind of want a, a portion of yours with a little bit of fat on it, so, so I'll, I'll take that too. They would go on and on, and they'd just break the rules over and over and over again. And how often do we do the same? We have been granted a position before the Lord as, as, as his priest, not as high priest, but as one of his priests. And we've been granted a liberty in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so often we break that liberty and we abuse it. And if you could leave this morning with having remembering only one thing from this message, I would encourage you to be this. Don't abuse the liberty that, the Lord, that is ours in the, Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ did not save us so that we could continue to live a life in sin, but he saved us so that we could live a life with purpose. And so often, we'll hear people getting saved, and yet there's no change in their life. Because I'm saved. I have what I need. I'm not going to go to hell. So why should, I, why should I live this boring lifestyle? I was talking to a mother, and I, I asked her, I said, how, how are your kids doing? And she was very honest. Uh, one, of, one of her sons uh, wants to go into the mission field, wants to go on for the Lord, and yet uh, her middle child, she says, I, I don't even know if he's saved. And finally, the third one said, she's living a, a life in, in, in the world. She's, she's pursuing after the things of this world. And you ask yourself, well, what was the difference? They were all raised the same way. They were all taught the same things. And yet we have one who desires to go on for the Lord, and yet two who decide to turn their backs on the Lord. What's the difference? So we see that Hophni and Phinehas, they abused the liberty that they had in their position, and we too do the same thing. The Lord Jesus Christ saved us so that we might live a life for him, a life with purpose. And so often, I use the example of, um, we, we are clothed in his righteousness when we place our saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I used this example years ago when uh, my sister bought me jeans. Um, and uh, I was in a phase where I would wear Wrangler jeans because they were cheap and, you know, they got the work done. But my sister decided to go out of her way to buy me these new fancy jeans. 
but it took me so long to put those pants on because I, I was so stuck in the Wrangler ways, if you would. Uh, they're, they're very comfortable, you know. Uh, and I remember I finally put them on once. She said, what, what took you so long to, you know, to finally wear those jeans? And I couldn't answer it. But uh, needless to say, I, I've never bought another pair of Wranglers since that day. Uh, <laughs> because uh, you know, they, they were so much better. But so often, it's as if we've been granted this, this, new, this new wardrobe, if you would. And yet, in our eyes, it might look like something so small. But once we finally clothe ourselves in that, it's like, well, why would I go back? And there was a time in my, my life where I would constantly just pursue the things of this world. And I finally you know, came back to the Lord and it was like, what was I thinking? But the Lord saved us so that we could live a life of purpose for him. In verse 18, it says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child. What's always interesting to me is as I use the example of, of the woman with the three children, we see that Samuel was raised, you would assume, by Eli. And you would assume that he was raised around Hophni and Phinehas. And yet Samuel made this decision at a young age to not follow in the ways of Hophni and Phinehas, but to minister before the Lord even at a young age. And I think one problem that we have is we tend to look at the younger folks, especially in, in the Sunday school room, and um, we don't tend to uh, grant them the credit that they're due, if you would, if, if I could put it that way. We tend to look at them in kind of a, a demeaning fashion, um, saying, you know, they're just growing up. And we tend to look at them in kind of a small way, and we, and we really belittle them in our minds. But we see here that Samuel was able to minister before the Lord and before the heart of the Lord, even as a child. And I, I was thinking back in, in my years uh, going through Sunday school and when I was in my high school class, I can think of maybe four people, four people that I grew up going to Sunday school with that are still here. Four. And that's when the Sunday school was so much bigger. We'd have 30, 40, 50 kids, and I can think of four people. Well, why did they all leave? And I think and I was looking back, and, and when they all left, it was after high school. Granted, that's a very pivotal age. They go to college and so on and so forth. But many of them left because they didn't feel like they had a place here. They, they didn't feel that they had a role here. They didn't feel like they were a part of something, and they left. It shouldn't be that way. We should, we should look upon the young ones, and we should take them under our wing. We should, we should show, uh, try to figure out what their spiritual gift is, teach them how to, how to develop that gift, and to show them their place here in the assembly. And my question is, do you know your place in the assembly? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Because how am I to show someone else you know, how to develop their gift if I personally don't know what my gift is and what my place is in the assembly? So we need to figure that out. But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child. He was able to do this as a, as, a, as a young one. So I encourage you to not look upon the young ones. Uh, if I could use an example, when I was uh, at the Galilee program last year, there was this man named Nate Bramson, very passionate man. But um, I'd heard many stories about him. He's a missionary in, in, in Niger, and he's just doing awesome things for the Lord. But I never saw a picture of him. And so when I was, like, try, you know, when you, when you hear about someone, you, uh, a picture always you know, you kind of paint a picture of what that person might be like in, in your mind. And 
Um, he's, he's younger than 30, or he, he's very in the early years of 30, but hearing about what he's doing, you, you automatically think almost he must be 50 years older or older, you know, because he's just so knowledgeable of the word and so on. And I remember when I saw him, um, I didn't know his name, Bramson, but, you know, he got up to, to speak at the program, and I automatically turned my mind off. It was like, you know, this, I mean, this guy's only, like, less than 10 years older than me. I mean, what could he possibly teach me? And I, I don't blame you if you guys have that mentality towards me at all. But we, we, have, that, we have that mentality in our mind where, what, what could I possibly learn from this person? And, and we tend to, tend to look at, at the young ones that way. Uh, if only we, we could have a heart more like the Lord where we'd say, hinder not the children from coming unto me. And so we ought to have that heart as well. So we ought to show them what their place is here in the assembly and to um, help them develop. Um, okay, if we could drop down to verse 22, uh, just in wrapping up. And now the, the focus goes to Eli. It says, Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Know, my sons, for it is not, good, it is not a, gr- a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. Um, The first thing I wanted to point out to you about Eli was he finally addresses his sons, but he says that he was very old. He was very old when he decided to do it. You would imagine that Hophni and Phinehas have been doing, uh, committing the the sin against uh, before the Lord for years now. And you can imagine that, that Eli probably knew. It would be very hard to do the things that they were doing without Eli knowing. But we, we see that Eli was very old when he finally decided to address the issue. But we see that he wasn't even addressing the issue that was before him. The issue in Eli's mind was that they were laying with the women outside of the tabernacle door. Now, in Eli's mind, he had esteemed the sin that they were doing outside of the door higher than the sin that they were doing inside, taking from the Lord what was his, not doing their jobs correctly. And for years, Eli would let this slide, and he would let it slide. And then finally, when he heard, heard these terrible reports, he finally addresses them. He, uh, he talks to them about it. They, they, they decide that they wouldn't repent, and he just leaves it at that. He should have done more. But I, I, I wanted to ask, is there, is there sin in our life in our homes, in our marriage, whatever the case is, that we kind of just let slide. Because in our mind, it's not that big. It's not that big of a deal. But is there sin in our, in our life that we just let slide? We see that Eli let it slide. And he was in a very high position. And we see that even after talking with his children, uh, they, they don't repent, and he just leaves them in the position they're in. He should have done more. Uh, he, should have, he should have removed them from their position, whatever the case was. But all he did was simply talk to them about it. Uh, how do we treat sin in our lives? Is it something to talk about and just say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I'm working on it? Or is it something that we, that we truly deal, deal in a serious manner? We tend to belittle sin in such a way where really we're blinded by the effects that sin has. 
And Hophni and Phinehas, they would do all of these things before the Lord over and over and over each and every day, and the Lord would not accept the sacrifices that they were offering. So they, not only would they be stealing portions from the Lord, but they'd be stealing worship from the Lord that was rightfully his. And we tend to belittle sin in our, life, um, in our lives so often like that. So is there sin in our lives that we are letting slide? If I could just compare Eli to Job for one second, it says in Job 1 and verse 5, it says, So it was, uh, so Job's children, they would get together, they would have these, um, these dinners, if you would, and, and we would assume that there was, there was also drinking involved. And so this is after that would happen. It says, So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. In other words, I don't know what my children are doing in there, but just in case they're sinning, I'm going to offer, I'm going to offer up a sacrifice for them. I mean, really, I mean, who, who thinks that way? But, but Job, Job wanted his sons and his daughters to live a life for the Lord. And his desire was that they would be sanctified and cleansed of their sin. And so he would offer up sacrifices to the Lord just in case. And yet Eli was one who knew what they were doing, and yet he would let it slide. And uh, we don't have time to go into it, but, we, the, but the Lord drops the hammer on them, and he judges them for what, they're doing, what they had done. And unfortunately, they, they don't repent, and eventually they have to pay for their sin. But it's all because Eli let the sin slide. And so often we let sin slide in our life, in our relationships with one another, we'll let it slide. And, 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 and we see in James, I believe, that uh, sin, once it conceives, it brings forth death. And we just let it slide, and we let it slide. And eventually, uh, the Lord has to judge us for it. And so, is there sin in our life that we um, are, have not dealt with, that we have not confessed before the Lord? And then finally, in verse 26, it says, And the child grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. So here we have a picture of Eli not dealing with an issue, and eventually he's removed from his position, and yet we have Samuel, who's just continually growing in favor with the Lord. Um, may we be more like Samuel. Um, like I said, eventually uh, they had to, to pay for the sin that, that they had committed, and really they had missed so many blessings because of it. Can you imagine if they were just faithful priests, and they did what they were supposed to do each and every day? the great blessings that they would have. And, and for us believers, can you imagine the great blessings that are waiting for us in heaven if we would only put aside all of the sin and the weight that so easily ensnares us? How much more blessing we'd have? How much more blessing we'd have here on earth? Uh, we were talking about the joy of the Lord up at camp, and um, the joy of the Lord is, is dependent upon certain things. And so many of the kids would come, come to the counselors talking about how they don't have joy. But then they'd go on to say of, of all the sin that's going on in their life and this and that. And we remember when, when, when David fell, he prayed to the Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And if you're not experiencing joy in your life today, I would encourage you to take a look at what's going on in your life and to really ask, is there any sin in my life that I ought to confess before the Lord? Um, and so with that, we'll just close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are just um, so thankful for this time you've given us to open your word. Father, I just ask that you would use uh, 
my uh, feeble words this morning to somehow uh, benefit the, the people here at Claremont. Father, we just ask that truly uh, we would see sin uh, the way that you see sin. Father, it was the very thing that put your son on the cross. Father, may we treat it as such in our lives. Uh, Father, we would just thankful uh, for the position that we have in the person of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we are kings and priests before you. But Father, just like Hophni and Phineas, we have a tendency to um, abuse the liberty that we have. Oh, but God, we ask that truly you'd help us to take our position in Christ seriously. Father, that we would not continue in sin, uh, that grace may abound, but Father, that we would treat it seriously, knowing that it, it affects our relationship with you, it affects our relationship with one another, it affects the work that we are doing for you. And so God, I just commit each and every person here to you today. Uh, Father, I just ask that um, we would grow so much closer to you that we would uh, turn away from the things of this world and that you would just uh, grant us mercy each and every day. Uh, Father, we're just so thankful for the food and the fellowship that will follow. We ask God that um, you would just bless the time that we have together, Father, that uh, truly as we fellowship with one another that you would be glorified in it. And so we just commit this day to you and ask for your blessing upon it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.